Hey guys, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. Today is episode 265, and if you're a normal listener, you're going to automatically know that something is different, because I have a guest this week, special for Memorial Day. I have my dear friend, fellow pastor, and army chaplain at Arlington National Cemetery, Brady Feltz. We talk about the grieving process. We talk about what he's learning as he continues to honor the fallen. And this Memorial Day, it just felt like such an appropriate episode. So I just want to thank all the military families out there who continue to do amazing things for the kingdom of God wherever they're planted. I'm really, truly thankful for you and to be a part of that brotherhood. Do me a favor, guys. Hit this subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this episode with a friend, maybe somebody who you know has a deep appreciation for the military. Now, let's dive into this conversation with Chaplain Brady Feltz. I'm so excited to have a repeat offender with me today, my dear friend, Chaplain Brady Feltz. Brady, how the heck are you, my man? Doing well. I. It's not often I get called repeat offender, although I have several areas in my life that that is a valid term, so... Yeah, and um, in case they didn't go back and listen to the first time, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing in this current season of your life, and, oh, this is a good one, what has changed since the last time you and I have talked? Yeah, okay. Um, So for the listeners who didn't hear the last time, I am a U.S. Army chaplain currently stationed at Arlington National Cemetery, Um, and 90% of my job is to conduct funerals for service members and their spouses if they are eligible, uh, to be buried at Arlington. So my job consists of calling and speaking to families and getting to know the people so I can personalize the service, maintaining my uniform, writing my scripts, and then going and executing the, the services. So it's, it's me meeting the family an hour before the service. It's going out there. It's coordinating with the honor guard and, and the whole shebang. And what's changed since the last time we've talked? You had a major life event? Well, I mean, not nothing changed professionally. But, yeah, we had our daughter. Um, yeah. <laughs> my wife was pregnant during the last call that we did, and we now have a, a beautiful five-month-old daughter who is uh, – She's definitely a daddy's girl, and I have zero complaints about it. Listen, I've had a princess since the day she was born, and I'm just telling you, it's the best. It's the best part of life is uh, having two boys and a princess. How, now, how old is your oldest? He is going to be three in June. So, uh, you guys are doing all the things now. Yeah. You are almost at one year serving at Arlington, so mm-hmm. I, I was dying to know what. What have you learned about grief in the year? I mean, how many how many funerals do you think memorial services have you done, you think, ballpark? I'm up to about 230, 235. That's just so many. And um, what do you think that you've learned about grief uh, yeah. in that last year? Um, the most clear thing that I have gleaned from my time at the cemetery and talking with 230 families. Um, And not that I was on the fence about this, right? Like your, your podcast is for people inside the church and and focusing in on discipleship and being more like Jesus. So this is not going to be a revolutionary idea, but like 
man, the priority you should place on reconciliation within your family is huge. Um, because I have watched families sit on polar opposite ends of the chapel from each other without willing, without being willing to look at each other while I talk about their loved one. Um, I've watched one family have to sit for an hour and a half in the family room. Mind you, we only give usually an hour, but like they were, they had to figure out how they were going to do the service because the next of kin did not want it to happen. Mm. So like the kids were there waiting to do it, but the second or third wife was not interested in it. Um, and so like you've got kids who are trying to bury dad who are just heartbroken trying to figure this out in the middle of all that. Um, and so, and and that's, those are the big ones, but like there are plenty of instances where, you know, the daughter doesn't get along with a stepmom or the kids don't get along and they don't want to come to the service. And you just hear all this heartbreak around what should be, it's already a hard time saying bye to mom or dad, right? It's already a hard time trying to show up and see these headstones and hear the taps and hear the firing party. Like you don't need the extra drama of, the crap inside your family. So I like the biggest thing is, and maybe, maybe to succinctly say it, don't make grief worse than it is by having drama in the family. If you can avoid it. Hmm. So, so let me ask you this. If, if you were going to give, um, cause there's probably somebody listening right now. Who's like, okay, Brady, I hear you, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. Yeah. What, what's the first step in reconciliation for someone who's not 100% sure they want to be reconciled? I mean, think about not that person, but the other people that it will impact. Mm. Right? Because, like, it wasn't the stepmom who was impacted by not burying dad in that instance. It was the kids. Yeah. And so, yeah, you don't, you may not want to bury the hatchet with your ex or, and, and the biggest issue I see is usually it's not somebody had beef with the deceased. It's I've got beef with somebody else inside the family and mom or dad didn't take ownership of it to say, listen, you two have to sort this out to the best of your ability. Um, so I would say like, think about not just your issue with them directly, Think about what's the best thing for the family as a whole. And I get it. Like, this is not to gloss over abuse or, like, certainly not trying to gloss over any of that stuff. But um, And there may be a time and a place for it. But even that, I think you can handle in a healthy way that will not compound the wound that is a burial. Wow. That's a, um, that's a really great... I, I don't know, practice of life. I am curious after, after doing this job for a year and seeing everything that you've seen, has it changed how you treat the real, the living relationships you have? I think so. Uh, the better person to ask that would be my wife. I mean, I, I would say ask my kids as well, but that, you know, my three-year-old would just love to talk and my five, five month old can't. Um, but I, I definitely come home I'd like to think I come home with a, a better perspective on like what matters. Um, the best conversations I have with families are the ones where the son, the daughter, the spouse talks 
positively about their loved one's time and service, talks proudly of it, but then talks as long or longer and just as fondly or more so about the stuff that they did outside of the army or stuff that they did with the family. Those mm. are the good conversations. Um, One of the things that I've heard you say is that grief is a thing that both heals and wounds simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if you could kind of drill down on that because I, I think that there's a lot of people right now who are experiencing grief. There's a lot of people in my world that I know are experiencing grief and they don't know what to do with it. What do you mean when you say it heals and wounds simultaneously? So I am stealing that phrasing from St. John of the cross who described the Holy spirit that way as he described the living flame of love, the Holy Spirit, as a thing that both simultaneously wounds you and heals you. Um, and as I reflect on on grief and watching, I, here's what I mean. Sorry, that's a long walk up to um, grief obviously wounds, right? People obviously are hurting when they have to say goodbye. Um, and what sucks about it, what sucks most about grief is like you get caught off guard with all the small things, right? Like you have a memory of their laugh or you have a memory of the way that they would get up out of the sofa because they always did it the same way. Like whatever, whatever, it's always a small thing, right? It's never the big grand gesture. It's always the small thing that catches you off guard and hurts. But here's where I say, and you you have to be intentional about letting it heal because those memories, as you let them dwell, reinforce the love that you had with them. And that's the healing. It's the, it's the allowing the memory to hurt so that it builds the muscle of love that you had with Mm -hmm. the person. Yeah. So like we can't fully uh, appreciate the love until we experience the pain of the loss. Is that, I don't know about that. I like, I'm not sure I like that or agree with that per se. Like I, I, I've heard that analogy in, in a number of different ways of like, you know, you can't experience the full goodness of God unless you go through the evil and suffering of this life, which is one example of it. I'm not a big fan of that. Um, there may be truth sure. in it, but I'm going to let theologians and philosophers wrestle that one. What I guess I mean is, so grief and death are inevitabilities, right? We're not talking about maybes. We're talking about this is going to happen. So there's no avoiding the fact that the people in your life that you care about are going to have to say goodbye to you at some point. Um, And you can either go kicking and screaming into that and say no, and just act like it's not a thing, or you can embrace the pain that is and allow that to remind you of just how significant the person was to you, how meaningful the relationship was and the, the values, the traits, the characteristics, the good stories, all of those things are allowed to be more positive if you're willing to embrace the pain when it comes. Hmm. So, you know, the, the, the work that you do is incredibly heavy, like uh, emotionally burdensome. How, how do you keep perspective on not letting the grief, other people's grief consume you? I mean, right? Like, I was just thinking as you were talking about this, I'm like, man, he's, you know, he's going to do five to seven 
memorial services a day easy. I'm probably underestimating it. Actually, so our limit is usually about four. Uh, It might get up to five in the summer, but I'll probably hit five or 600 before I'm done. Yeah. So four memorial services in a day, then you come home to a three-year-old who doesn't understand any of it, a five-month-old who obviously doesn't care, and a wife who's like, save me. You know what I mean? Like, how do you... how do you keep it compartmentalized? Um, we talked about this last time. So like I won't go as in-depth and I'll just do the shameless plug for the listeners who are like, hey, I want more on this one. Just go back and listen to the other one for a little bit more. Yeah, it's um, a good idea. Plus I, the, the grief playlist was my favorite part of that whole conversation. I'm, I'm glad. I still I, – I don't use it as much and maybe that's part of it. I, I have found um, boundaries is helpful. Uh, mm. The teammates that I work with are helpful. Um, cause we can share some of this with each other and we can laugh with each other. Um, some of it is intentionally like emotionally detaching. And then, and this is going to sound, this will probably be the, the worst sound bite that I have, at least in the first, what is it? 12 minutes. Um, there's a certain point at which the stories almost all sound the same. Yeah. And so that allows like, that allows it to kind of just be, yep, you're the 17th person to tell me you guys like to travel this week. You're the 12th person who had the greatest mom in the world this month. And so that I think helps because it's, there's, there's a certain point when it just kind of becomes white noise in that sense. And I, I mean, I realize I'm talking about people's loved ones and I, I hate saying it, but in terms of like maintaining the distance between me and their grief is, is that aspect. Um, and then the other thing is like, I'm not their pastor. Um, and I, I'm pretty firm in my mentality about that one. When I approach people, when I, when I email them and contact them and I talk to them on the phone or talk to them on the phone, it isn't, you know, what, what do I need to do to help you grieve? I, I always offer condolences and say, Hey, I'm sorry for what you're going through. But usually it's just tell me about mom. Tell me about dad. What do I need to know to do the service? And I'll be done in that phone call in 30 minutes or less. Um, and that's me explaining what to expect. So it's a pretty set formula and routine at this point. I think that's helpful as well. Um, cause they don't come to me and say, I, I've had a couple of them who've reached back out to me and said, Hey, I'm really struggling with this, but out of 230, I've had two maybe that have reached back out to me and struggled. Mm. So I'll take 1%. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, one of the things that, uh, in, in the notes that you and I shared beforehand, you mentioned that we both overestimate and underestimate um, kind of ourselves and our loved ones. And I think this feels like uh, a good segue into this dialogue after you mentioned like you've heard 17 times you had the best mom in the world yeah. or the best dad in the world. Talk, talk to me about how you came to this conclusion that we've overestimated and underestimated ourselves in loved ones. Yeah. So with that, I mean, like if I have 17 best dads in the world, obviously at least 16 of them are lying. Right. Um, so in that sense, we underestimate our role, um, as, as the parent, as the spouse, right. Um, I had the best husband ever. I had the best wife ever. Perfect army wife, perfect this, perfect that. Um, so in that sense, 
I know that at least for myself, it's so easy to feel like I just, I'm failing as a husband because I'm putting, I'm having to spend more time on work than I thought I was. Obviously I'm spending more, like I'm spending more mental energy on career management or development or spending too much time on this, that, or the other thing, man, I'm just not as good of a spouse or a parent as I could be or, or as I should be. And so it's easy for us to say, man, I'm, I'm just not where I should be. But then I talk to these kids, or I talk to these, these loved ones who are bearing mom or dad and they're like, best dad ever. And I'm like, Oh, maybe it's just about trying to show up. Right. It's not that mm-hmm. you're there at every ball game or every dance recital or, you know, I think your kids, at least in our life, in my life, recognize eventually for some reason, dad has to spend some time away and they may not like it, but they get it and they understand the bigger purpose. I think what matters is that you, you choose to show up when you can, right? When, when you get to pick your priorities, the kids and the family are your priority, that kind of thing. So I guess, I think in that sense, we tend to underestimate our value, but I also know as I've talked to loved ones, they tend to elevate mom or dad a little bit. Um, I I've had a number of people who are like, dad was special forces. And then I look in their file and it's like, no, he's, he was attached to them as just some random medic. He got a certificate of appreciation, but he had no, he didn't have the green beret, didn't have the long tab, didn't have the qualification, none of that stuff. He just spent three good months with them in Vietnam and, and got a pat on the back. And that's not to take away from his time in service, but like the kid idolized him. Uh, yeah. Right. And so in that sense, we overestimate our importance because we tend to think that like, I am the hero in my dad in my kid's life. Right. I'm the best example of a man that my son is ever going to encounter. Now, like I'm the most prominent one, but I don't know if I would say I'm the best. Right. <laughs> um, right. So like we, and, and I think what really helped help me see this was just when you put people on the phone and you say, tell me what you remember most about dad. That's when it comes out. Like I've had people who've rattled on and on about the time that dad spent with them, um, almost ignoring the fact that they were in the army. And then I've had some of them who like our vacations were when we were PCSing or moving in between homes. And that Mm. was it. Um, I had one guy call me back or email me back and correct what his sister said because his sister said dad's priorities were um, country, family, army. And this guy emailed me back and said, I'm not going to say she's wrong, but I'll tell you what I saw, country, army, family, right? Um, and so in that sense, I think we, we overestimate our role. Um, and we overestimate the significance our parents played. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Chaplain Feltz to remind you about Follow to Lead Coaching. That's right, a brand new service that I'm doing for Christian leaders and executives. It's group and individual coaching, working to help you live into the fullness of life with Christ. At the end of the day, we know that taking your faith into the workplace can be such a difficult thing. So Follow to Lead Coaching is designed to help integrate your values, your work, your faith, And I want to walk with you. I've got groups forming right now and individual coaching available. So please do me a favor. Go to follow, then the number two, leadcoaching.com to get signed up and connected. Now, 
Let's finish up this conversation with Chaplain Feltz. Yeah, as somebody who has a unique perspective, what's the role that our career plays in our identity and our memorial service, right? Like, so when, you know, I'm just kind of internalizing this dialogue for myself, right? There's going to come a day that, you know, my kids do my memorial service and they're going to say that I was a lot of things yeah <laughs> you know I, what's your i mean kind of what are the most common things that you hear for one and two like how, how does that change the way that you think about the work that you do or the work that i'm doing or you know what i mean i yeah for me what it has done personally is um so i've got one more captain assignment after this one um and and there are a number of things that we're looking for in it um for your listeners, think about it like I've got one more mid-level job, or mid-level church that I'm going to before I promote up and expect bigger and better things after that. Um, and the odds are, uh, like, there's a decent shot that I'm going to wind up spending some time away from my kids and my family at that next job. Certainly more than I am now. Like, right now, the job I have is one of the most stable family jobs I'm ever going to have in the Army. Um I am not interested in chasing the super sexy assignments just for having a super sexy assignment. Cause I don't think my kids at my memorial are going to be like, and dad got this awesome job. Um, but if I'm going to have to spend time away from my family, I want to be able to look at them in a couple of years and say, here's why and have it be more than just, I was looking for a promotion or, I, I, I want to be able to say there was a significant reason that I spent three months, six months, nine months, whatever time away it was more than just I had to, right? Because mm. I didn't have to. I didn't have to stay in. I didn't have to stay in the army. Um, I chose to stay in the army, which meant I chose to put myself in a position where I would have to go overseas. And if I choose to do that, I want to make it count. I want to be able to look at them and say, I know it was bad and you didn't like me being away, but here's what happened as a result of it in the positive. And I think as long as you can do that, at the end of the day, your career should only be a footnote in your funeral. Like I've never read a resume or a DD-214, which is our retirement sheet for the Army people. Um, I've never read one of those during a funeral. I've highlighted key things if it's been super important for families. And it makes sense because it's Arlington, right? You're coming here for a military funeral. So it makes sense for me to elevate that a little bit more. But most of the funerals talk more about like the stuff mom and dad liked to do. What are the things you remember the most for? The good funerals are the, are the ones where they say, man, I remember these trips with mom where we would always go to the beach I remember how mom always was doing these crossword puzzles. I remember how dad could make anything he wanted in the garage for me. I remember how dad was the guy who got me to be an Eagle Scout, right? Those are the things that I remember the most from the conversations I've had. And so I think, man, when it's my turn to go, I want my kids to say, um, dad loved being in the army, but he loved us more. Yeah. Amen. I, I think uh, anybody who's listened to this podcast for any length of time knows that I like to talk about 
the as David Watson would call it the epistemic consequence of sin or yeah. our, our natural wounding, right? Like, so it's like uh, I'm we're all going to wound our kids somehow, but I don't want to wound them by thinking that my career was more important than yeah. them or this podcast or you know anything that could be a passion project that could easily turn into an obsession. Um, so, so let me, I mean, let me ask you this, like, what are some of the things that you recommend for someone on a random Tuesday to do to, to help prevent themselves from getting sucked into, um, a way of thinking that loses perspective? Probably the best thing would be, um, I'll, I'll give two examples of probably the same practice. Um, okay, great. So one, Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about beginning with the end in mind. And um, when I got trained on how to do that as a a method of of improving families for the Army um, and teaching that so that families could be stronger, one of the exercises we have them do is like, it's your 80th birthday. What do you want all the loved ones around the room to say about you? And who do you want in that room? Mm. Um, I think your ability to answer those questions will tell you whether or not you should give a crap about the thing that's currently trying to get your attention. Do you want them to say that you were an awesome podcaster? Do you want them to say uh, he was a great pastor? Do you want them to say he was a great chaplain? Or do you want them to say he was a great dad? She was a great mom, right? Like what are the things you want said there? Um, if, if it's too morbid or too out there to start thinking about like what should be said at your funeral or at your 80th birthday, Sure. I think you can also scale that down to what would you, what would you want your family or friends to say about you in five years? Um, Cause one thing I had heard that I really like is if it's not going to bother you in five years, or if it's not going to be important in five years, it's not worth spending five minutes on. Ooh, that'll preach. So do you, um, do you have you created a rhythm in your own life or have you and Abby created a rhythm to think about uh, what it means to not lose perspective on on the big stuff? Is that something you guys incorporated or maybe after the duty station or once your kids get a little older? It's hard to incorporate anything right now. So yeah, lots yeah, of grace. yeah, yeah, we we do a lot of trying to build rhythms and that's not yeah. one that we've. We don't have a rhythm for it, but it's not uncommon for us. I'm, I'm the one who's guilty of this one. So I'm the, I'm the forward thinker. I'm the one who is, for strengths finders, I'm like a number one futuristic, so I'm always years ahead. Um, mm-hmm. So like I'm the one who will say, tell me about what you want to do in retirement. Um, what kind of a home do we want to have when we get done in the Army? I'm, I'm that guy. Um, so we don't have a rhythm of it, but we've had some of those conversations of like, what what is all of this building towards, right? Um, we know that we want to do some form of joint ministry, whatever that looks like, and we're still trying to figure that out. But we're we're finding some of that. She's got her thing, I've got my thing. We're starting to see where they overlap at points. So it's trying to be supportive within that, um, and not losing in spite of or not losing perspective on that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean having two kids definitely helps with that perspective thing. It's sure. Yeah. It's yeah. super easy to get sucked into um, all these really cool opportunities that come your way until you're like, yeah, but 
my kid's going to wake up at 6.30 in the morning regardless, so I got to get to bed, mm-hmm. even though it sounds really fun to be on this call with you guys or play games with you guys until 11 o'clock tonight. Um, and that's a small example, but I think that helps draw some of that out, right? Like, yeah, it's the, yeah, I don't have a good rhythm for it yet, but I don't think it'd be a bad thing to do. So one of the things that I wanted to get your opinion on and this is shifting gears just a little bit is um, your view of the local church, right? So now you've been, you've been chaplaining for a while, but you've, you're now serving in the, the role that you're serving in where you're not really dialed in to a battalion like you have been previously. And so I'm, I, I have to imagine that the sense of community around you has changed quite a bit uh, I'm curious what what are your insights on the local church now that you've been removed for from it um, for for several years? Um, well, that's a lo- big question. It is. It is. So, like, I'm not. I, I I don't know if I fully know which direction you're trying to go with it, but I'll just, well, just throw stuff out. There's, I don't have an. I don't have a desired outcome. I was really just curious because uh, you're a thinker. Yeah. So I mean, like, Abby and I are both really committed to the idea that community is one of the most critical components of life. Um, I've said for a while, sanctification is a team sport. Becoming more like Mm -hmm. Jesus is a team sport. Like, I don't know anybody could do it otherwise. Um, Even the monks had monasteries. Right. So, so like we knew when we were coming here, we needed to have a community. So we found a local church out the gate that a friend of ours from this area recommended. Um, and it's, it's an Anglican church about a half an hour away. It's not convenient to have to drive an hour round trip every Sunday to get to church. Um, but it meets both Abby and I's um, spiritual needs uh, and, yeah. and puts us in a good community Um And so we're committed to that uh, while I also find a chapel to support. Um, So like we, we've been very intentional in trying to get into a small group, into a church that we are fostering deeper connections with and and things like that, because community is, is vital in that sense. Uh, So that's the positive. I, I, I think the church will always be important in some way, shape or form. Now, whether it is because of whatever denomination it is or the politicking that comes along with that, probably not. But there will always, since day one, man, community has been important for the for the life of a believer. And so I think that that's going to remain no matter what the ecclesial structure or dynamics are. I love it. That's so good. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to share your best story from the last year. Like the story that it can be funny. It can be tearful. It can be, I I know you to be a great storyteller. And so um, I think people would really enjoy a behind the scenes Arlington story that, um, that you find meaningful either in humor or in, in seriousness. Um, so best is always, uh, uh, as a side note, best is always an adjective that puts me in an awkward spot. Cause I'm like, is this really the best story that I got? But I know what you're going for. So anyway, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll dive back. You can't um, mess it up. 
The story that stands out to me the most that made me know I wanted to reach out to you about this particular podcast, because we had talked about this. We talked about, hey, let's yeah. do something for Memorial Day when we had done the previous one for Veterans Day. And then I got wishy-washy and I was like, I don't know, maybe we do it, maybe we don't. I'm not sure I actually added that much value to your podcast last time, so let's let's roll the dice. And then I had this funeral. Um, so it was it was a spouse's service, which is to say it was a dependent, so no military honors. So it had the honor guard, had a casket team of six people that took the casket, and then uh, an officer in charge. And then as soon as everything got placed, they left. So it was just me and the family. And I'd called the daughter, um, who was significantly younger than the rest of the, the family. Um, probably she was younger than me. Um, and she, when I talked with her to try and personalize the service, first of all, I only talked with her a day or two ahead of time, which was not my usual rhythm. I tried to talk to him ahead of uh, about a week. Um, so I, you know, I, I was already kind of behind the eight ball on it. But when I got on the phone with her, I could tell. Uh, this one was going to be rough, at least for her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause she, she was even up front. She was like, um, my brothers, or my, my siblings are doing fine. Cause they were about 10, 20 years older than her. Um, and they weren't that close with mom. Not that they were like, they just grown to that point. Right. So sure. nothing, nothing negative, but, um, but she had even, open, she was open with me of like, we'll see how I do. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and then morning of, I go into the family room and it's, it's my usual spiel. I'm there in my dress uniform. I go around the room and I see how everybody's doing. Um, I, I've got a usual flow for it. So like I walk in, I introduce myself. How is everybody doing? Because some families will be like, mom died two years ago. I've done grieving. And then they show up and they see the headstones. They're like, oh gosh, I was not prepared. Mm. Um, and so I like to ask that question and, and then went around the room and everyone else was like, we're good. And then I got to her and she was like, we'll see. And I was like, okay, it's that kind of morning. <laughs> um, and so then we, we leave. Um, and I can't remember one of the things I've started telling my families and I might've done it for this family is um, I, I always started recommending to all my families, let them feel what they're going to feel like good, bad and yeah. ugly. Cause some people come and because it's Arlington and I'm, I'm all gussied up in my nice uniform and there's the honor guard out there. And since they're military families, they can all feel like I'm not going to cry. I don't want to sully dad's funeral because I'm shedding tears or whatnot. And I'm like, that's stupid. Just cry. If you're going to cry, right? Like let yourself feel it all good, bad, yeah. and ugly. So I might've said it there. I might not have. Um, I leave, I get out to the site. They pull up. Everything to this point is as per usual. It's normal. So I start walking up towards the site, towards the the grave site where we're going to do the service. And I hadn't even gotten fully in position before this became a very different service. The Mm. daughter in question was like wailing in tears. Mm. Um, And then we finally got everybody seated. It wasn't. She had, she had maintained some composure, but then the cat, like as the casket team got the casket down, she was done. So they walk off and I'm the one stuck there. So it was great. Um, I got through my customary greeting. Welcome to Arlington national cemetery for over 150 years. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I finished that up. I was able to get that through her tears and her, her sobs um, until, and I got, 
halfway, a third or halfway through Psalm 23, which is a standard scripture that I will read. And she fell to the ground crying. Mm. Um, and here's, here's what did it. Here's what made this. This, this was one of the, I've, I've had a handful, probably half dozen, dozen services that like punch me in the gut. And this is one of them. Um, usually it's because it's a tragic circumstance. This wasn't tragic. This one was just like close to home. So I don't remember if she was on the ground when she said this, or if she had been, somebody picked her physically up and they're trying to like get her back in her seat and just trying to control the situation somewhere in the midst of all that. She goes, that is my mom. Um, and that one cut. Cause mm-hmm. I remember having, okay, I'm going to take a breath. I'll explain this for the listeners. So five years ago, my mom died and we were at um, the Immaculate Conception Church in Salina, Ohio. I'm in the front pew. I see my mom's ashes and um, I didn't say it. I maintained composure, but while I'm sitting there, all I wanted to scream was, um, get there uh was talith alikum out of mark chapter four Mm. where christ says get up little girl yeah it's all i wanted to scream so for her in that moment like i and i would never say this and i didn't tell her this because it's not appropriate but in that moment i was like i'm you i know that um i know that sound yeah that was the moment that I was like, oh, I got to talk to Tony with this. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so that that's probably one that stands out for me. Um, that's beautiful. Yeah. I've had other ones that have been harder, harder for different reasons. And I've had others sure. that have been amazing. I've got one I'm doing tomorrow for repatriation, which is a fancy word for somebody who died in World War II. And they've identified their remains from Germany. And I'm. Oh. We're burying him in Arlington tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. So both ends. Whew. Uh what a what a perfect place uh to put a bow on this conversation. I, I think uh man, I think if there's one thing that we can pull from all of this is that um when it comes to grief, we are them. You know, yeah. like we are we are them and it's it's so important. So, uh, Brady, I know last time you let people know how to get in touch with you. Uh, what's the best place to stay up to date? Is it, is it still, uh, Gmail and Facebook? Gmail and Facebook will be the best ones. Some people followed me after the last one. Um, and I've started doing, I've been doing it for about a year now, weekly updates of like, here are pictures of the family and here's my service tally and stuff like that. It's boring stuff unless you're friends or family, but yeah, no, I enjoy it every, I enjoy it every time. So, uh, and, and I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm sure I'm every listener out there wants to say this. So I'll say it on their behalf. Uh, thank you for what you do to honor soldiers and their families and the very hard and distinguished work that, uh, the Lord has called you to in this season. So, um, we're praying for you and we're praying for all the troops that you represent. Appreciate it. 
I told you guys what a great conversation with Brady. I appreciate his heart and his willingness to hop on here again to keep diving into the tough conversations. So that's just where it's at for me, being able to have real talk about real things. I'm super thankful for each and every one of you. I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to connect. And hey, don't forget to check out followtoleadcoaching.com. It's a great opportunity if you're a Christian leader, executive, to get connected in at the next level, to integrate your faith and the fullness of life with Christ. Guys, I'm so thankful for you, and I pray that you have an incredible Memorial Day weekend. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.